45-Hour Post-Education for Florida Real Estate Sales Associates by Edward J. O'Donnell. Follow the legislative mandate to increase professionalism of licensees. If you think that a textbook will help you, you have two choices, a physical textbook or an ebook. Just click on the link below to purchase. At the beginning of each section is an introductory paragraph designed to set the tone for the units. In that section, a second paragraph given the reason for focus of the subject area described. The sections comprise 14 units. Each unit in the manual is divided into the following parts. Unit material, key term practices, and answers to the discussion exercises. Each unit overview offers a summary of the subject area covered. Each unit in the textbook lists learning objectives. Key term list is a teaching vehicle at the beginning of the unit rather than alert you at the beginning of the unit. Only the important terms used in each unit are listed. Many key terms from FREC Course 1 for Sales Associate are used in the unit but are not identified as such in the textbook. This post-licensing course is a follow-up course building on your knowledge learned and experience gained rather than repeating Course 1 material. Each unit in this manual contains a fill-in-the-blank quiz using some key terms shown in the unit. Near the end of each unit in the textbook is a short synopsis of the major points. Practice exam multiple-choice questions follow each unit and are similar to those found in the practice final exam and on the end of course exam. The answers to the quizzes <clears throat> are at the end of each unit in this manual and in the answer key in the back of the manual. If you think that a textbook would help you, you again have two choices. You can purchase a physical textbook or you can purchase the ebook. Just click on your choice to purchase. A glossary of key terms is included to help students increase their real estate vocabulary. Section one, laying the foundation for a successful career. Unit one talks about legal issues and risk management. Unit two, fair housing and the American with Disabilities Act. Unit three, business planning and time management. Section two, obtaining listings that sell. Unit four, up prospecting for listings. Unit five, pricing the property to sell. Unit six, making the listing presentation. Unit seven, listing contracts. Section three, selling real property. Unit eight, working with buyers. Unit nine, sales and option contracts. Unit 10, writing and presenting the offer. Section four, financing and closing real estate transactions. Unit 11, exploring mortgage alternatives. Unit 12, acquiring financing for property. And unit 13, closing the transaction. Section five, analyzing and managing investment properties. Unit 14, analyzing and managing investment properties and your practice exam answer and rationale. Final word, many students have a negative view of the post-licensing only because the attendance is mandatory. This is an excellent opportunity for you to gain from the educational experience. I will do all I can to help you become more comfortable and competent in your real estate activities. I want you to know the rewards you'll receive in the business from studying each area being presented and discussed. I will throughout the course be making and keeping the learning alive. Examples from my professional experiences to make teaching points. If you think that a textbook will help you, you have two choices, a physical book, or again, you can purchase the ebook. That's your choice to purchase. Your guide, Vinny DeRosa, Florida real estate licensed instructor since 1980. Part of Florida Real Estate University. Forty-five hour post 
Licensing Education for Sales Associates by Edward O'Donnell. Unit number one, legal issues and risk management. Renewing your license. Well, the Department of Business and Professional Regulation sends renewal notices at least 60 days before your license expires. You must successfully complete this course before you renew. So you got to get through this and pass it. If you fail, you've got to wait 30 days before taking an alternative examination. If you don't pass and renew before the expiration, your license becomes void. Ooh, so don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Do it today. Now, your subsequential renewals are your license expires every two years. You got to complete 14 hours of continuing education every two years after this course is completed and you've passed it. If you don't renew before the expiration period after this period, your license becomes involuntary and active. And after two years, your license goes void. So after this class is over and you've completed your 45 hours post-education, you have to renew every two years, take 14 hours. If you forget to do it at the end of the 14, after the end of the two years and don't take it, it becomes involuntary and active. And after that, it becomes void. So don't hesitate. Don't wait. What are the authorized brokerage relationships in Florida? A broker or a sales associate can work with buyers or sellers as a transaction broker, a single agent, or a designated sales associate. Or a licensee can have no brokerage relationship with a customer. So those are your choices. Transaction broker, single agent, designated sales associate, or no brokerage relationship with a customer. In Florida, dual agency is illegal. So what are the disclosure requirements in Florida? The three types of required residential brokerage notices are no brokerage relationship notice, single agency notice, and consent to transition to transaction broker notice. You don't have to give a notice if you're a transaction broker. So, again, to repeat, three types of required residential notices in a brokerage. No brokerage relationship, single agency notice, and consent to transition to transaction. Commercial brokers can use designated sales associate notification. So, let's define a residential sale. Property with four units or fewer, so a quadruplex or less unimproved residential property intended for use of four units or less. So if it's zoned for a quadruplex, that's the definition of residential sales. And that's also for financing. Agricultural property of 10 acres or fewer, again, a residential sale. So let's talk about these different brokerage relationships. Transaction broker. Licensees are legally presumed to be a transaction broker here in Florida. That's what the law says. It is presumed. It provides limited representation, but does not represent either the buyer or the seller as a fiduciary. In Florida, nearly 70% of licensees work in the status of transaction brokerage. So what are your duties as a transaction broker? Well, it says you have to deal honestly and fairly. Account for all funds that you have in your possession. Use skill, care, and diligence in the transaction. 
Disclose all known facts that are materially affecting the value of the residential property that are not readily absorbable to the buyer. Present all offers and counteroffers in a timely manner unless the party has previously directed the licensee otherwise in writing. And your duties also are limited confidentiality unless waived in writing by a party. The transaction broker may not, may not, may not reveal to either party that the seller may accept a price less than the asking or list property, that the buyer may pay a greater than price than submitted in an offer, the motivation of any party for selling or buying, that a seller or buyer will agree to financing terms other than those offered, and any other information requested by parties to remain confidential. Any additional duties that are entered into by this or other separate agreement. So those are the duties you have as a transaction broker. The next is single agency relationship. A single agent represents either the buyer or the seller, but not both. Single agents have a fiduciary relationship. Only single agents may call their customers principles. The principal is responsible for the acts of the single agent. So what are your duties as a single agent in Florida? Well, deal honestly and fairly. Loyalty, confidentiality, obedience, full disclosure, accounting for all funds, skill, care, and diligence in the transaction. Present all offers and counteroffers in a timely manner unless a party has previously directed the licensee otherwise in writing. Disclosing all facts that material affect the value of the real property that are not readily observable to the buyer or the seller. Now, as a single agent, you have that one duty of fiduciary, which nobody else has. As a transitioning from a transaction broker to a single agent, a single agent for one party must work for the other with no brokerage relationship. A single agent can transition to become a transaction broker for both parties. The former principal must then sign consent to transition the transaction. So this says that you are a single agent for the buyer or the seller. And something came about where now you're kind of in the middle of it. You had a listing or you had a buyer. And all of a sudden, one or the other became interested in that property. You then can now get the consent to transition to transaction. The next choice you have in Florida is no brokerage. A no brokerage relationship. Licensees must give a no brokerage relationship notice to customers. This is someone who doesn't want you to represent them either as a buyer or a seller. Don't want you to be a transaction broker. They just want no relationships. The duties to that customer are to deal honest and fairly, disclose all facts that materially affect the value of the residential property that are not readily absorbable to the buyer, and account for all funds entrusted to the licensee. So in that situation, someone says, look, I can do this on my own. I just want you to show me some property and write an offer. That's it. No brokerage. Now, we've got this other thing called designated sales associate. Broker names one licensee to act as a single agent for the buyer and one to act as a single agent 
to the seller in a non-residential. So it's not in a residential, it's non-residential. And here are the requirements. The buyer and seller must sign a disclosure that they have assets of a million dollars or more. The buyers and seller must agree to this form kind, this form of representation. And the licensee must give designated sales associate notice. So in a designated sales associate scenario, the broker can have within his own company an agent who represents the buyer and an agent who represents the seller, as long as the seller or the 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 buyer or the sellers have assets of a million dollars or more. The part that gets you in trouble that makes a situation where crime has been committed. So crimes, convictions, or pleas. Licensees who plead no contest or are convicted of a felony or a misdemeanor must notify the Florida Real Estate Commission within 30 days. If the misdemeanor took place before you were licensed, you still have to report it. So crimes, any kind of felony or misdemeanor has to be notified or must notify the Florida Real Estate Commission within 30 days. That's one of those situations where if you've had a past and you did have some things there that, and you went through this when you got your sales license, because if you, if you had issues, you wouldn't be here now to do this course. But even after you become a sales associate and something occurs, you still have to notify the Florida Real Estate Commission. All right, let's talk about homeowners association disclosures. If an owner must be a member in a community association, the developer or the owner of that parcel must give the buyer a homeowner's association disclosure. Hey, look, you're buying in this community. There are some things we need to tell you. If the disclosure is not given, the buyer can void the contract within three days of receipt of the notice or before closing. This does not apply to condominium sales. It's a whole different thing on that when we get to that. All right, let's talk about taxes. Ad valorem tax disclosure. Before a buyer signs a contract to purchase, the buyer must be given the property tax disclosure summary. The summary warns the buyer that the taxes might be trigger a reassessment of the property value. Yeah, and, and that, that has happened in the past where, you know, property has been in the hands of the seller for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and the assessment didn't go up because it was mandated by the courts that it could only go 3% per year. And the appreciation in the area has gone up tremendously. So the county then has the ability to reassess it. So you thought you were going to have a tax bill of, you know, 500. And now when they reassess it, it's, it's, it's going to be 1,500. So it's not so that you have a uh, sticker shock. Radon gas. Radon gas disclosures must be in every sales contract and lease for more than 45 days. It describes the gas but does not require an inspection. The EPA recommends interval inter, inter, intervention of testing shows radon levels of more than four picocures liters of air. So there was a, at some point in the past where radon was a big issue. Uh, most properties now have been uh, remediated and or identified. So there still is a disclosure because of radon. Florida Residential Lead-Based paint, lead paint and Hazardous Reduction Act. Wow. If you have a dwelling 
that was built prior to 1978, and there's still tons of those properties in Florida, the owner must give the buyer a lead hazard information pamphlet, information about the presence of any known lead-based paint or lead-based hazards, a 10-day period to conduct an inspection, and it doesn't apply to rentals, but just if you're purchasing a home. Persons who have renovated such dwellings must be certified and follow specific work practices. So that, again, that is, you know, we've got a lot of properties here that were built back in the 60s and the 70s. And back then, you know, we had asbestos shingles and lead paint and all these other hazardous materials that were used that we didn't know were hazardous at the time. So disclosure, disclosure, disclosure. The next act, the Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Act of 1980. Well, parties involved in the ownership of property that have been contaminated have the liability for the cleanup of that contamination. To avoid liability, the purchaser should perform due diligence, including a phase one environmental audit. Former gas stations and dry cleaning establishments are very risky. Yeah, and again, you know, the property may not even have a building on it anymore, but there are telltale signs that there was gas pumps there. And, you know, it is one of those things where the disclosures will be given that, you know, you should have it tested. Most sellers in this case would probably have already done that. You would hope they would have gone through the first environmental phase and had an audit to, to clear the property before they put it up for sale. But again, those are things that are there to protect the consumer. The next fun one, do not call registry. Ugh. A company that has an existing business relationship with the consumer can call. And even if they're on the do not call registry for up to 18 months after that consumer's last purchase, delivery, or payment, even if the consumer number is on it, three months after the consumer makes an inquiry or submits an application to that company. If the consumer asked that company, do not call again, the company must honor that request. Yeah, we've all been through that where we constantly get these calls and it's hard because they are hard to track down. But unfortunately, there are some unscrupulous people out there who abuse the do not call registry. To successfully avoid penalties for violating the law, safe harbor. The seller or the telemarketer must demonstrate that it has a written policy and procedure to comply, train its personnel in these procedures, monitor and enforce compliance, maintain a company-specific list of phone numbers that it may not call, access to do not call registry, the national one, no more than three months before calling a consumer, and unintentionally, if they make a call in violation of the law, there are rules to take care of that. Again, it is a pain in the butt and we've all been dealing with it. But you know what? Florida also has a do not call registry. And then again, they must comply with both lists, the Florida one and the federal. Federal law allows licensees to call FISBOs only if they're not on the national registry. So you saw for sale by owner. You still got to go check to make sure they're not on the registry. If they're not, you can call them. And if they say, please don't call, then do the courtesy thing and not call them again. Junk Facts Protection Act. Uh, it's not outdated. I mean, some people say that we don't have fax machines any longer, but, you know, people still send faxes occasionally. The law requires that a person who sends a fax to have a, an established business relationship with the recipient 
or written consent from that recipient. Senders of fax advertising must provide a specific notice and contact information on the fax that allows the recipient to opt out of future faxes. Again, this was popular in the 90s when we first got fax machines. We were getting spammed like crazy for faxes. And back then, fax paper and ink cost a lot of money. Doesn't occur as often as it used to. Now we get them by email, but, you know, it's still the process. So then they came up with the CAN Spam Act. Covers only commercial emails, not transactional emails. Regulates emailers whose primary purpose is advertising. The routine performing routine information must be corrected and identify the person who sent it. And they got to have an opt-out on emails. And we've all got them. And at the bottom of it says, please opt out if you'd like to opt out. And that is there for your you know, protection to say, hey, look, I don't want anything else from you anymore. Please opt out. And, and salespeople, when they do marketing campaigns, have to have it in there. So don't spam. Don't, you know, send bad emails and faxes. You know, be courteous to others because, you know, we all get them too. And other people don't want to have that aggravation. The next big area, federal income taxes. Exclusion of gain from the sale of your personal residence, taxation of gain from the sale of real estate, and the taxation of independent contractors. So what are we going to talk about first? Well, the exclusion of gain from the sale of your personal residence. So you're selling the property that you live in today. Exclusion is up to 250000 or 500000 for a married couple filing jointly of the gain on the sale of their personal residence if the taxpayer owned and occupied it for at least two of the last five years. If the taxpayer held that home less than two years, a prorated portion of the exclusion may apply. Again, talk to your tax professional. A number of times homeowners may use this time uh, the number of times a homeowner may use this exclusion is unlimited, except the exclusion can only be used once every two years. So you bought a house, two and a half years later you sold it, it was excluded from the capital gains. You bought another property, held it for three years, and you sold it, it was excluded. You bought another house, you had it for a year and a half, oh, only part of it may be excluded from the capital gains. Short-term capital gains for property held for one year or less are taxed at your individual investor ordinary income tax rate. So if you've got a short-term gain of a year or less, you'll be taxed at whatever rate you are at. Long-term capital gains, property held for more than 12 months, are taxed at a different rate depending on, again, your income tax bracket. Capital gain income is subject to an additional 3.8% Medicare tax for single filers making more than 200000 or a married couple filing jointly who make more than 250000 Now, what I usually say to individual brokers and agents is, you're not the tax expert. I would suggest that if you have a client, or I mean, sorry, a customer, who is in the process of selling a home, that they talk to their tax preparer to see what the ramifications will be when they sell or on the other side, when they buy. Don't give your tax advice. You're not the expert. Have them talk to their independent tax preparers. Three major requirements to qualify for independent contractor status. So this is you as an independent contractor. Now, how are you going to be treated for taxation? Well, a sales associate must hold 
a valid real estate license. The sales associate gross income must be based on production rather than the number of hours they worked. And sales associates work must be done based on the written contract that states that the sales associate will not be considered an employee for federal tax purposes. So when you go to work for a real estate company, which is, you're not really working for them, you're working with them. The IRS looks you as an independent contractor. You don't get an hourly, unless you are paid an hourly plus commission, that's a whole different status. But if you're on commissions only, then then they're looking at your gross income. And you will then be able to uh, uh, deal with it accordingly with the IRS. Antitrust. You know, this was big back in the 60s and the 70s. And that's why a lot of these laws are here. So antitrust laws prohibit activities conspiring to set prices, splitting up competitive market areas, conspiring to boycott cut rate and or MLS requires a minimum commission. So there was a period back in the 60s and the 70s and the early 80s where brokers would conspire and do stuff, you know, on the shady side. And, you know, that's not right. It should be open and above board and everyone should have an equal opportunity to earn a living. That was the antitrust laws. Now, disclosures. There's a ton of these two that are on contracts and they were kind of brought in over the last 20 years piece by piece and now they've gotten more in depth. So disclosures about death or AIDS. Disclosure is not required if a homicide, suicide, or death occurred in a property. So if someone killed themselves or they died there or they were killed, you don't have to disclose that. Now, there have been you know, occurrences where a property had been stigmatized, where there had been a murder or a suicide, and the neighbors know about it. My personal opinion is, if you know about it, you should just disclose and say, hey, look, I've heard, or here's evidence of, you know, if you, now, if you don't know of it, then, then you don't know of it. Uh, you're not, you're not liable for something you don't know. But if, if you heard, you know, something that had happened, I had that occur to me uh, years ago in, in St. Petersburg, you know, I had heard that someone had passed away there in that home. That's why it was being sold. So I disclosed it to the buyer. Hey, look, the listing agent had told me that the seller passed away, you know, six months ago here. Uh, and I disclosed that to the bar. They said, okay, thank you. We moved on. So it's better to disclose than to hide it. The next part was the occupant of the property was infected with HIV or di diagnosed with HIV. When the HIV AIDS uh, awareness became popular, or not popular, but became more prominent in the, in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, there were pe some people freaking out about it. And you go, look, just because they lived in here, there's no reason you're not going to get AIDS. Uh, there were so many misperceptions out there. And you had some people that were just, you know, about it. And I just would say, look, you know, this is what was disclosed to us. You know, they didn't have to, but they gave you that information. It's up to you to make a decision. So that is the end of the first part of the book. And we just went through unit one. And what I'm going to do after this is start into unit two. And as I go through, again, I'm going to interject little bits and pieces of information that may help you along the way, may add a few little personal stories or scenarios to help you remember things. 
And I hope this was beneficial to you. And again, if you, if you think you need a textbook, uh, there are links in the show note for a textbook or an ebook that accompany all this material. And uh, hopefully you'll have a successful ending where you've passed this. Don't procrastinate. If you've taken this course and passed it, go renew. Don't wait till the last minute because something could happen in between. Again, Vinny DeRosa, Florida Real Estate University, licensed real estate instructor since 1980. Hi, this is Cousin Vinny. Our sponsor, FloridaRealEstateUniversity.com, meets state-mandated Florida real estate education, offering pre-licensed, post-licensing, and continuing education courses so you can learn it from the comfort of your home or on the road. Visit our sponsor, FloridaRealEstateUniversity.com. Please take time to visit our sponsors at CousinVinnyNetwork.com. Without them, this network would not be possible. That's C-U-Z-I-N-V-I-N-N-I-E Network.com.